welcome to the new episode of Cyber Coast to Coast. I'm one of your hosts, Craig Schober. And before I introduce our other host, I just want to remind our listeners that uh, this episode of Cyber Coast to Coast is sponsored by Cyberlytica. Uh, Cyberlytica engages in proactive cybercrime intelligence. And you can learn more about their offerings on Cyberlytica dot com uh scott how are you doing today doing doing well and i i, I like that little jingle in the beginning there that was really uh it, it gives a nice kind of it sets the pace for the show and uh sound, sounded really good so uh yeah, yeah. i'm just curious where, where did it come from did you guys did you create that or uh yeah well i can't take credit for that uh that is a creation of my wife kelly's uh i mean she's been doing music ever since I've known her music and comedy, comedy music. However, you know, sometimes one comes before the other. Um, but her latest venture is, you know, partly due to COVID because this is something she can do online remotely over the internet is she creates these custom little uh, jingles, little songs for all types of, you know, it started out for friends and now it's, kind of moved into she has real you know she has paying clients and she's got nice. some you know you got a, a kid that's graduating from high school why not give them the gift of a custom song it's a lot more personalized than yeah. you know a gift card or something like that so she's written all types of songs for all types of people now she's kind of getting into companies uh doing the you know the the corporate uh businesses catering to those people um, I don't think her website's up yet. She's got someone working on it, but in any case, it's called Gift Diddy, giftdiddy.com. So uh, if, you, if we have any listeners out there that are interested in a, a personalized short song, uh, just contact the show and I'll put you in touch with her and they can, you can work out something and I'm sure they're going to be happy because they're all, you know, did you, did you like the little, um, we put the little centipede thing in there at the very end yes, for you. <laughs> yes, yeah, and, and it instantly for, for me, it made the connection. And and, and I know, know, I know you know, but a lot of our listeners don't know. I'm, I'm uh, my favorite game always has been centipede in the arcade since I was uh, at a young age, and kind of nostalgic went out many years back. Geez, this is probably over fifty. Oh, I've probably had this now twenty five years now. That I think about it, mm -hmm. a um. I have a centipede, a full a centipede arcade machine here at the company. And then I also later on years later, maybe 10 years after that, I went out and got a cocktail arcade table of centipede also. And then slowly over time would kind of rebuild and restore and update. And both are fully functional and working and still yeah. eat a lot of quarters, but a lot of fun every once in a while to take out stress. Highly recommend getting an old school uh, arcade machine. And, and there's a lot of fun play on, on a centipede there, but uh, certainly kudos to Kelly and, and please thank her for that uh, great jingle there and uh, look, look forward to uh, hearing many more. Yeah. And as I said before, uh, you know, more to, more to come uh, as we kind of polish and hone this podcast. Uh, I'm sure we'll introduce regular segments, regular little ditties, regular uh, personalities uh, and stories and all those themes will come into play. So look forward to all of that. Um, before we get into our our news of the day, our news stories, uh, I wanted to 
check in with you. You mentioned to me that you were getting some some calls, some some customer interest about GPS trackers, um, and I wanted to know what you know what what's the story there. What are what are people what are they looking for exactly? What are, are they reacting to? Because we did we did a GPS tracker story. I think it was on last week's show, or maybe it was the pre the week before that. Oh, it was recent. I wonder if they're responding to that, or is there something going on societally that they're some kind of uh, you know technical paranoia? Uh, what do you what do you make of this? I think it might be a little of each. the The fact that um, there's a fair amount of people out there, and and I talk now several times a week. I get calls and emails from people that said, hey, heard about your company, heard about some of your segments, this or that. And you guys have some tool that helps find GPS trackers. They don't even know what it is half the time or word of mouth. Somebody in the industry talks about it. So we're starting to get very well known for our tool. The main tool that we sell is called the Yorkie, which is really a simple focus tool that picks up when a cell phone is pinging or when a GPS tracker is pinging, and then we could locate where it is on the vehicle. Typically they're hidden underneath a vehicle. And, and I think that's really the, the kind of what has gotten a lot of these phone calls and interest. There, the stalking is, is a huge problem. I didn't realize how big it is until I start talking to these individuals. And on top of that, there's a certain stigma associated to somebody when they're, they're, telling somebody else such as law enforcement or friends family that they feel like they're being stalked because right away somebody looks at them and says this person's seems a little off they seem crazy they seem nuts they seem paranoia Mm -hmm. Um, so i think if somebody hasn't gone through it themselves it's kind of hard to relate i I often maybe draw a corollary to between uh, the first book uh, hacked again and sharing that story of of being targeted and hacked and some of the emotions that play out in a person. I think people that go through a stalking scenario have a lot of those emotional ups and downs and they're in disbelief themselves and everybody else around them doesn't believe it. So Mm -hmm. I I see, I see a similar uh, connection there perhaps in talking to these people. And, and, uh, And there's just, I think COVID is unfortunately has brought out a lot of, depression and anxiety and just people in general. We're mm. cooped up maybe with our family too much. Uh, we're behind closed doors. We're not getting air in. We're not exercising as much. Um, I think all of those things tend to play in a little bit of our own paranoia. And I think a lot of people are having challenges with relationships and marriage and other things. And hence, there's more of a need to then distrust, tracking, people having affairs, whatever the case may be. It's not always for good reasons, but more and more people are buying these GPS trackers. And on top of that, the sheer cost of a GPS tracker has plummeted. And now, and we talked about this the other week, air tags, how popular air tags mm-hmm. are. Again, they're not working the same way a traditional GPS tracker is where it's using the cellular network per se, but the price, just the plummeting price and the awareness of how simple and easy anybody could put a tracker on anything, I think is driving more people to be paranoid, which is driving people to buy our tool, the Yorkie, to locate GPS trackers. Um, whether you're a good guy, bad guy, or somewhere in between, you just don't want to have be, be tracked without um, having giving permission to somebody to track you. Yeah. And we found, um, I'm sure not everyone calling you 
can they don't necessarily understand the technology behind it much less can afford our what we offer as far as a solution for detecting gps trackers but in the interest of educating them um we did create that uh, uh, kind of a trifold in both a printed and a digital form. And I set up the URL. So anyone could go to our website, uh, www.bvsystems.com slash find hidden trackers, all one word, all lowercase, find hidden trackers. And you get a, a direct uh, link to that um, trifold. And, you know, in that trifold, of course, there's some you know, product mentions in there because we're talking to our customer base, but there's also a lot of practical tips and things that mm -hmm. people can do to locate GPS, hidden GPS trackers without having to purchase expensive equipment. So I urge anyone, you know, whether you, whether you're paranoid or not, whether you don't, you think no one will believe you or not, it can't hurt to check out your car, check out your luggage, check out whatever you think someone could slip a little tracker in there and if you're if you're not up to the stage yet of purchasing or calling law enforcement or hiring some kind of uh, detective to, to do that for you, there's nothing wrong with searching out your own property to make sure that people aren't tracking and stalking you uh, yeah, yeah. behind your back. Good, good point. In fact, uh, somebody I was chatting with back and forth today that that actually does sweeps on vehicles, and they 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 use our tools extensively. Uh, among other great tools for for tracking, uh, finding hidden bugs and cameras and things. But in any event, what they were sharing with me regarding uh, GPS trackers, I kind of thought thought was a little bit interesting. And they give the the first tip they said before even providing a service for them is they say, you know, just to save you some time and grief, go down to your local Jiffy Lube or if you wherever you check your oil when your car goes up ask the technician, do you mind if I just go under here for a minute and take a flashlight and just spend a few minutes looking, inspecting under your vehicle to see mm -hmm. if there's any hidden GPS trackers there. So really doing a visual, why a Jiffy Lube when the car's up in the air? Because you could really see up close and you, you could be underneath it with a flashlight pointing and look for some reflections to see if you see a little black box where the magnets are, whatever else. So it was yeah. a really a nice, simple tip that he just shares with anybody that's a prospect for, for his business. And I think that's really smart. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to give Jiffy Lube that, that free of free of charge. That could be their new, newest service, you know, add, add $5 to your oil change and we'll do a quick uh, GPS tracker inspection. Yeah. 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 And I think another thing that a lot of people don't realize if they're, if the target is really important that they track them. What I'm finding in the industry is they don't just put a GPS tracker under the vehicle. They put multiple GPS trackers. In other words, you go under the vehicle, you spot it. Oh, I found a GPS tracker. You pull it off. You do this and say, I'm done. Guess what? You got to still search. You got to do a thorough search inside the vehicle and outside the vehicle just to make sure that there's no tracking devices there. Because what, what they typically will do is they'll have one that'll continuously ping and that could track you and get great resolution where you are at all times, even if your vehicle's just sitting there. The other one may kept, be kept dormant. So suddenly if they start losing tracking and they say, oh, they must have found the one GPS tracker, mm -hmm. now they turn on the other one. Unbeknownst to the, to, the, uh, to the target who's still driving around being tracked and wondering, 
I took the tracker off. How come they're still following me? So little tricks and things like that. So we have a nice, I think in that little trifold that we provide up there, that um, URL that you mentioned, they're just nice common sense suggestions. And it just takes you maybe 10, 15 minutes to read. And you can actually do a lot of the the work yourselves and it doesn't cost you a dime. It's just your time. And actually, if you hire an expert to do it, you're actually going to pay them to do a physical search anyway. Why not do that yourself? And, and maybe you'll discover if there's there's a problem on your car too, it'll give you give you early detection and then you can address that as well if something's leaking or broken or or missing. All right. And again, that uh, URL is bvsystems.com slash find hidden trackers. Uh, uh, moving on to our first story. Um, I found this on The Verge and thought it was kind of an interesting uh, mix between, I guess, high tech and low tech in a way. Um, and we have a, a history of, we deal with a lot of uh, correctional facilities and prisons. So I think we're in a position to understand how they work and how their their kind of community, you know, their hierarchy works too. Um, in uh, Bernalillo County, in uh, located in New Mexico, there was a jail that was apparently their computer system was hacked with a, or at least it, it uh, suffered from a ransomware attack. Now I didn't see anything in the story about a, a ransomware demand, but the um, apparently the uh, the electronic doors that, you know, the things that actually keep the prisoners in their cells, as well as um, security cameras, these things were, were all down and the, the jail guards had to rely on uh, the old fashioned physical keys to lock the doors, <laughs> uh, which is kind of bizarre. I mean, part of me thinks like, of course they have keys. It's a, it's a jail cell. Why would they have anything else? And then another part of me is like, oh, we're the year is 2022. Everything, these doors should all be automated and electronic. What, what, what are they doing with keys? But now we know why they have, you know, you have uh, smart locks that you put on your house. They, they're Bluetooth locks. Those all come with backup keys. And that's one of the reasons why if the, the battery dies or it's hacked or something else happens, a technological failure, uh, you're going to need that physical key to bypass. And that's what they did. So they got that up and running. Um, but apparently they couldn't get their, their video system still up, up and running. And that presents a lot of problems because you get, mm -hmm. you get inmates, it, not just inmates trying to escape, you get all types of uh, activity going on that's normally monitored, but things can be going on between inmates, things going on between staff and inmates, people could be attacked. And, uh, you know, this is how this is how riots start. And, yeah, and, yeah. you know, we, we deal a lot, a lot with this stuff, because we don't do too much in the weapons detection, although we're starting to get into that more, but we deal in the uh, communications detection, um, contraband, cell phones are a dangerous thing. And when you allow prisoners to freely move about and communicate, it's very easy them, for them to organize uh, assaults and at attacks and riots and escapes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you, do you think we're going to be seeing? Uh, is this, this the kind of thing we're going to be seeing in, in more uh, facil facilities like, like prisons, like ransomware attacks? 
Yeah, I, th- I think so. And in, in this, as you dig into the story a little bit more, I think it also had legs in that it got into other county systems as well. So sometimes when it gets into other county systems, it can affect the municipality. It might affect payroll. It might. So when those other systems now that are all sharing a common system uh, get attacked, it, it causes mass chaos, not just within the prison and administration, um, but all the other services within a county are potentially there. Uh, you think about maybe the courts that are, are usually adjacent or, and used in conjunction with, with, with inmates and stuff. All of that comes up. And in fact, what this, this particular instance in the article kind of gets into a little bit more as I dug down into it, this ransomware attack um, actually kind of triggered uh, violations of over a, a law lawsuit that in a settlement that happened a long time ago, back in the 1990s, mm-hmm. um, where where the, this prison and, and this prison is not alone. We're not picking on them, but but a lot of prisons they have the, the population. There's too many inmates. There's too much confinement. Um, it creates a lot of difficulties, and a lot of times the uh, inmates are up in arms, and and they'll actually you know get involved in lawsuits and and other things like that suing the prison saying, hey, these are not fair uh, places to live and it's not clean, it's not safe, so on and so forth. So I think indirectly, some of the things that they had to do by going back to old school keys and locks and creating a lockdown, it doesn't give the inmates time to actually socialize and talk on the phone with their loved ones. Suddenly when you're on lockdown, you can't go out to the the pay phones. Hmm. You can't make calls to loved ones. And, and in, in one way, right away, people say, well, that's not fair. And it, it probably isn't fair. If that's your line of communication, you feel bad for someone. If they're stuck in, in prison, they're doing their time. They're doing what they have to, to go through um, to get back into society, but yet they're kind of confined. And now they're on lockdown and you can't communicate with loved ones. I could see how that could really cause a, a riff with them and, and cause problems inside. Um, hard, yeah, hard to you, say. Even, I mean, even prisoners that are put in solitary confinement, which is more, more and more, um, you know, is just being judged as kind of cruel and unusual punishment. Even those prisoners, I think, are guaranteed to get at least one hour per day. It is like to to stretch their legs and walk around in, in, in a in a less confined area. Now, when you have all these people locked in the cells against the will of the warden and the staff themselves, now they're all violating this kind of this rule. So it does create a lot of uh, legal problems that I think we're going to be seeing more and more of. Yeah, yeah, def- definitely. It, it kind of, for some reason, when I read this article, it, it triggered in my mind the scene. I don't know if you remember it in um, uh, Mission Impossible. And in the very beginning, Tom Cruise, I think he was in a Russian jail system or something, and he had to escape and, and take someone out with him. Mm-hmm. And through the camera systems, he was telling him, open up the cells. And then finally, they opened all the cells. It was mass chaos, <laughs> and he had to escape and things like that. I think it was a great, a very well-orchestrated scene, but it kind of rem- reminded me of that. But now imagine it where everybody's locked in, cameras are off. You're manually going around and doing everything. It, mm-hmm. it, it's not a, not easy to do. And it probably is not that secure because now people take advantage when you go outside normal security protocol and you got to go back to old school. People are not accustomed to that. Uh, inmates, unfortunately, could take advantage of that if mm-hmm. they wanted to uh, rebel 
and react or cause a riot and, and it could be dangerous. Absolutely. Um, before we move on to the next story, just want to remind everyone once again that Cyberlytica is sponsoring this episode and Cyberlytica is known for their proactive cybercrime intelligence. Um, if you ever wondered if your email address is somewhere on the dark web, well, you don't have to go looking on the dark web to find it. Cyberlytica will do that for you in a safe manner. And you can, I, I believe they offer that service for free. It's like a basic kind of scanning, a basic auditing of the dark web, and they'll show you your email address and you can go into more ad, uh, advanced metrics. We'll show you about passwords and all these, all types of websites that were breached that might've had access to your email address. So it's, it's a very comprehensive service they're offering to individuals as well as uh, corporate and enterprise. And you can get that all on uh, cyberlytica.com. Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. And, and even if you do check out their website, um, I, I work with them on and kind of a unique idea, at least I, I feel it is. And of course, I have a vested interest in it there, um, working with them and, and kind of excited to see it come to fruition and see success from it. But it's called a um, cybersecurity survival kit. And, and it's got a nice mixture of different tools, techniques, awareness, videos, um, services all put together that's affordable that allows you to really reinforce your cybersecurity posture. So um, again, don't take my word for it. Go check the website out, read about it, learn about it a little bit, check out some of the offerings. And I think you're going to find it to be very valuable as I certainly have. So again, that's cyberlytica.com. All right. This next story comes to us by way of uh, bitdefender.com. Um, I guess, you know, they, they uh, create, they have security, cybersecurity uh, products and solutions, but they also have a blog that they publish. So uh, one of the stories that I think was, it might've been picked up by The Verge. I'm not sure I, where I saw it. And then I kind of, you know, you trace it back a few, a few levels and you're like, oh, okay, here's where it originated. But this one involves, uh, I thought it was another, Kind of, again, kind of like the, our previous story about the prison, it's kind of an interesting mix of uh, old versus new technology and the way that hackers will um, uh, ab abuse that and exploit it. Um, apparently, the a police force in, uh, in Austin, Texas, found parking meters kind of... Uh, containing uh, phishing uh, QR codes, like these are stickers stuck mm -hmm. to them um, on over a hundred uh, bogus parking uh, QR codes. Now, I know in the, especially in the East that uh, QR codes have been big in uh, Asian countries for years now. And in the US, they, they never really quite caught on up until recently. Now, uh, I think, I guess due to COVID mostly, that's what I'm hearing that yeah, pe yeah, people exactly want that. Right. They want, you know, they want to scan that code without having to touch and interact with a, a touch screen or push buttons or deal with people. They just want to scan it on their phone. You get the URL and the URL is going to send you where you hope it will send you. But of course, as we know, a hacker mm -hmm. has access to that, uh, QR code, anyone has access to a printer, so they could print up a sticker, slap it on anything, and you have the unsuspecting public now trying to pay for their parking spot 
thinks, oh, I'll save a second instead of dealing with this uh, smart meter or instead of going to a website or using the app, I'll just scan it. I got my phone out. I'll just scan it right now and I'll, I'll pay right now and then I'm good to go. Yeah. But uh, you know, no such luck here. Um, yeah. I was going to add for, for those that are listening that maybe they're not that familiar with QR codes. And I think you're right. There's a resurgence of them. And what QR codes are, they're really kind of a two-dimensional barcode that could store small bits of data. And, and again, that data is simply used to direct people to a specific website. Here in New Jersey, New York, I haven't been eating out a lot, but the few places that I have eaten at over the past two years when there's no one there and we're going in very carefully, um, they have on the table just a QR code and you take your phone out, you scan the QR code and what pops up is the menu. And that way you have the menu on your phone, in your hand. Now you didn't have to touch a physical menu. They don't have to clean a menu. And I've seen a lot of the tables, at least in, in New Jersey and New York, where it used to be a cloth table or something else. It's just a, a piece of glass on it now. Mm-hmm. And underneath that glass is a QR code right in front of where you sit. And that's it. In some cases, they'll put the physical menu too. But a lot of times it's just a lot easier to just put the QR code. Everybody has a smartphone now. And um, it gives them an opportunity, I guess, to, to get that menu up in front of you faster without having that physical touch as you were talking about. But I love this story because it's, it's like it's like you said, it's kind of low tech slash high tech because QR codes have been around for a while. But, but it's kind of so stupid that it's brilliant because most people, when you're trying to park, you're, you're running somewhere late, at least myself. I park. I'm running late. Do I got to pay beforehand? If I'm going to a, a game, for example, you, you got a stub or a ticket, I'll pay later at the thing, or I'll just pay now, or I'll find an app. Or, oh, wait, there's a QR code here. Let me scan that and I'll, I'll run to the game or run and go get my food and I'll pay when I have a chance to sit down and do it. You're not thinking about security implications. Mm-hmm. So again, it's kind of the bait and switch, or uh, as you mentioned there, it's like a phishing scam. It really fools you. And that's what effective phishing scams do. And effective cyber criminals will kind of distract you with what's going on at the moment. So you now divulge something like a social engineering type of attack, but, but pulled out very differently and uh, very effective. I'm sure that this works it's got to be the most cost-effective means because, like you said, what the cost to print up a QR code is what is it going to be a nickel for a sticker? You print right. it on your Dymo, di- even your Dymo label make, which I have on my desk. I could print that and slap it on every parking meter. We could set up a fake website, mm-hmm. and uh, next thing you know, people are paying us for parking their cars all over the place. It's crazy. Yeah, and I'm sure the uh, the criminals, you know, they didn't have to do anything other than just collect people's credit card information. All these, these people, you just create a few fields in a, a blank uh, HTML web page and people are typing them in and it's just, it's just collecting the numbers. It's, it's pretty, it's a pretty easy way to get your victims to come to you. And all you had to do was print out a few stickers and slap them on parking meters. So yeah. um, you, you almost want to give them <laughs> credit for, yeah. for something so clever but yeah, true. Uh, yeah um, they uh, apparently the police are only saying to um, just inform your you know credit card issuer that you want to charge back if you you know fell for this scam and to file a police report. I don't think any other information. I don't think the uh, criminals have been uh, caught yet, but hopefully there's an investigation going underway because. 
if if this is happening in in Austin, Texas, it could be happening in just about any other city. So I would expect to see more stories like this. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Once a story like this gets legs, other people start to duplicate it to see if it works. And I think to to your point, maybe to some extent, it's not about somebody paying you through their portal or things like that, but rather just trying to find a way to mass collect stolen credit cards. And what they do then is they'll take that information, go on the dark web. Imagine they steal over a period of a month, 10,000 stolen credit cards. They're not even going to run your credit card. So now you, you can't make that connection between the cyber criminal that put the QR code, the website or anything else. What they're going to do is put that together, package it as a list, put it on the dark web. And now they're selling it to someone on the other side of the world who in maybe three months or six months suddenly uses your credit card and you have no idea how your card was compromised. Well, maybe it was when you were in the city at that parking meter and scanned the QR code, entered your parking information. And, and then you reflect back and say, wow, now that I think about it, I parked there all that time. I filled it out. I gave my credit card. I never even got charged for that. I never saw a charge on my credit card. No, maybe not. And maybe they just sold your credit card and that's it. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But what a, what a great scam from a st- standpoint of, uh, of creativity. I give them a 10. Right. Yeah, you're always paying one way or another, but mm-hmm. I rather pay a legitimate business that offers a legitimate service than a criminal. So, yes. so true. Uh, this uh, before we get into our uh, final story of this episode, uh, want to remind people one last time that it's sponsored by Cyberlytica.com, proactive cybercrime intelligence. Uh, this one you brought to the table, I think, Scott, um, and it come it came from. Uh, uh, msn.com and it's about tesla but it's it's that kind of tesla cryptocurrency uh dance they've been doing i feel like elon musk is he's he's heavily into uh promoting cryptocurrency as the future as you know most tech uh, uh ceos and gurus do but there seems to be in fact i just saw um they just started offering on uh tesla.com uh dogecoin uh oh. you're able to pay for certain accessories not not the cars and not some of the more expensive stuff because that price fluctuates a lot and i don't <laughs> think they want to get caught in that race um but yeah they're, they're now accepting dogecoin and i saw that it went up uh i think 20 20 cents from just that announcement so these are very volatile markets but anyway it, back into the story um I don't know if you want to you want to set up this one since you brought yeah, it or sure. sure absolutely I, I think it's interesting and honestly after reading it I laughed about it but then in the back of my mind said don't know how accurate it actually is and and I'm kind of fascinated with um, crypto mining I've been doing research and reading about it I'm reading a great book on, on um, Bitcoin blockchain and mining just more for education to myself so I understand it. I love electric vehicles. And again, we talked in the past about a lot of our customer base are the guys that are installing electric vehicle chargers. So lots of different synergies and things that that kind of attracted me to this story here. But basically what this owner was saying, he has an older Model 3 uh, Tesla that he bought back in, I think, around 2017. And, And the earlier Teslas, I believe in 2017, 2018, if you were an early adopter, they gave you a lifetime access to supercharging. So you can go to any of the Tesla supercharging stations, 
plug in and you never have to pay for electric. And in a typical Tesla, you might plug in, you may drop five, 10, 15, $20, depending upon the level of charging, where you are, what your, what your um, rate is, what the electricity is in a particular state, so on and so forth. So it, it's basically maybe the equivalent for those that drive a combustion engine, getting X number of gallon of gas for free every time you need it. And that's really what, what this guy is doing. But what, what's interesting is the, the challenge for mining cryptocurrency, it's using uh, a lot of electricity. And the electricity is where the cost is, where you have to balance and trade off the cost to, to actually mine cryptocurrency, which is really solving complex algorithms and posting it on a ledger. And your reward is cryptocurrency or fractional shares of cryptocurrency. Yeah. And when you look at that big picture, he was using a combination of, I guess, the processing power inside of a Tesla, which has got a lot of advanced processors and computing power when it's not being driven and it's idle just sitting there and also the free electricity that, that he's getting the, the challenge is you have to you have to charge the car mm -hmm. which he's doing for free and when he's not driving use the car as a computing engine that could then solve these complex algorithms which would then yield cryptocurrency so basically here when you do the math that he's claiming um, 20 hours a day mining Bitcoin generates 30 to $60 per month mm -hmm. if you do the math. So if, if I look at that, um, it doesn't really pay. And again, in part, it's probably because the soaring price of, 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 of Bitcoin, for example, if you're measuring it there in Bitcoin that you're mining, it's roughly at $43,000. Uh, it's up a little bit today per single Bitcoin Um in, interesting concept. I don't think his math is that accurate. And in, in the end, I think potentially you're voiding the warranty of your Tesla, your, your, your battery and your charge charging agreement. So there's probably some gotchas there that you really got to be careful about. Yeah. I read the story a few times and well, maybe my reading comprehension's off, but I feel like I almost got a different takeaway from what his not that he's doing a scam necessarily it's not it's not illegal but his his what he's doing uh and i thought what i when i read it it sounded like he was getting a free charge on the car and then using the car's power out like in the form of a you know how the cigarette lighters you could take the power out from a cigarette lighter for instance and put that in an inverter and now you have now you have ac power coming out of a DC powered Tesla and you could feed that directly into your own um, PCs, your own crypto mining rig. Um, was he, was he doing that or was he actually tapping into Tesla's own car computers? I'm not even sure. Well, <laughs> I, I guess it's, it, it's almost one and the same. I kind of read it two different ways. It depends upon who you read it. And there's a lot of speculation. I think technically he was taking, he can't just take, you can't go up to a Tesla charger and plug in a computer and do Bitcoin mining, but he can plug his Tesla in, mm -hmm. pop off the battery, and then take that battery that's full in his Tesla sitting in his garage, for example, output that into his mining operations. And so if he charged and he pumped in, you know, X number of dollars of free electricity, he could output Bitcoin, for example, which is much more profitable after it's mine. And in, in a sense, what he's really mimicking is 
what the Bitcoin miners were doing in China. And in fact, just recently, it was in many of the headlines, they were shutting down. Oftentimes, electricity is, is subsidized um, or stolen or other means that they can get it in China for very, very cheap or free if they're stealing it, of course, or if the government's subsidizing it, using it for a manufacturing plant and they get a really cheap, cheap kilowatt per hour rate. They would use that to mine Bitcoin and they would set up a secret operation. Well, the government closed, is closing most of that down in China. Ironically, it's leaving China and it's actually heading to where United States mm -hmm. and some of the hotbeds in the United States is actually uh, Texas is one of the most popular states for crypto mining. Now, I think it's in like the top three. And in part, it's because I think of the large amount of energy reserves and the, what's coming out of the ground, the fossil fuels that's converted into low cost electric anywhere where there's low cost electric there's going to be cryptocurrency mining. And, and it's kind of interesting how that all is closely tied there. I don't remember if this guy was from Texas or not, or where he exactly was. But again, if he's getting the electric for free and he's kind of finding a back door, mm -hmm. and since he's getting free electric for life with Tesla, he pumps it into his car, pumps it into mining. Yeah, I guess he could make a little bit of money. I don't think it's the... You, yeah, you mentioned he was... Time. He was uh, spending, uh, according to his reports, he was spending approximately 20 hours a day yeah. and generating 30 to $60 a month, which is, you know, that's kind of chump change, but there seems to be a discrepancy because they interviewed a, a Tesla dealer who did the math on his own and said that, I guess, based on, you know, as you pointed out, it, it's getting more and more difficult to mine these Bitcoins. And so the current rate of mining would only net this guy about a dollar or two dollars of cryptocurrency after 60 hours of of mining so i don't know I don't, i'm not doing all the math um but it seems like either this is a, a false story or possibly maybe it was true at one point but maybe it's outdated i'm i'm not i'm not quite yeah. sure but like you said all the um since china kind of banned these mining operations they're going to move all over the rest of the world and a lot are going to come into the u.s so this is just the the tip of the crypto iceberg i think we're going to see yeah. in this country yeah and i think a big part when you really dig into the these type of stories and things it's kind of relative when i say relative it's relative to what what's your buy price for your crypto if you're buying ethereum or bitcoin um if, if i bought um Bitcoin and it was at $10,000, for example. And now today it's $43,000. What does that tell you? You know, if you bought a lot of it at $10,000, you just quadrupled your money. So perhaps this guy was doing it for a while and right. he accumulated enough for, you know, a fractional Bitcoin. And that Bitcoin has appreciated, but it's kind of like investing in real estate. Um, Right, yeah, wait, I live kind in, of wait and see. Yeah, yeah I, I live in New Jersey. I bought my house over 25 years ago. My house is is more than doubled, almost tripled in value on paper if I was to sell it today. But of course, I'd have to go out and buy another house to live in that would cost the same as what I'm selling my house for. So I don't mm -hmm. come ahead exactly, but it does appreciate um, over time. And maybe it's a better analogy when you you know, you retire, you sell your nest egg in your house and stuff, and you move down to Florida somewhere where it's lower cost and less tax based. 
that that's that's a, a positive move from a cash flow type of thing. And I think it, it's kind of similar analysis when we're looking at the the dollars and cents. Um, it just makes you feel good. I, I'll, I'll give you an embarrassing example also. Like like I looked at the price recently of Duraflame logs, and a Duraflame log that you throw into a fireplace is four to five dollars. No matter where you find it and they're on sale and stuff, that's a lot of money. I never thought about it, but every time I throw a log in the, to make a fire, mm-hmm. that's a four or five dollar bill. So I start. I came up with this idea. There's got to be a better way. I did research on the web and I and I found these um, machines that make bricks. And you take shredded paper, sawdust, and you can you put it in a water solution, add flour as a bonding agent, and you actually create bricks that are kind of the equivalent of a Duraflame fire log. But you're doing it with waste. You know, I, I we right. shred paper here at the office. You take a bag of that. You throw in some sawdust that comes out of a wood shop. So you don't pay any money for it, just your time. Right. And you squeeze out the water. You let it sit overnight. It makes this pulpy solution. At the end of it, what did I create? I created a whole bunch of these bricks I could throw into the fire. But it's your time. In this case, with the Tesla story, if he's spending 20 hours a day, that tells me he's not driving his car 20 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So is your car that makes you a dollar or two with 60 hours of mining worst case, or in some cases they claim 30 to $60 a month. Is it worth paying that much for not being able to use your car? It doesn't seem to make sense to me. Right. Or another way to look at it is he purchased a $35,000 battery because <laughs> he's not right. He's not driving yes. it. He's just using it as a middleman for power needs. So it, it, exactly. Yeah. I think it, it probably the analogy would be better if, or, or, or the business case I should say would be better if he said, Hey, I used my, my Tesla to, to power my house or something and stop paying electricity because I can charge it, charge it for free and power my house now for free and lower my electric bill. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know, maybe similar. And, and again, uh, people that are that are really into some of the the Tesla charge stations and um, the battery packs that you put in your house. I think it's a really cool concept. I looked into them, but then I also realized they're very expensive. So to put a couple batteries in to cover your whole house, you're going to drop 15, 20 grand. Mm-hmm. And then most people that do that, you have to throw solar on top of the roof too. Are you in a sunny enough spot? You got to maintain it. You got to insure it you got complications and things. So there's, there's a lot of great reasons to use technology, but I think the early adopters of everything tend to pay for it. And you don't always see the return in all cases. So until you do the math for yourself, tough to say, but I, I think this guy lost in my opinion on it. <laughs> he, uh, he, he'd be a lot better off doing a couple other things. Um, maybe put up a windmill in his backyard or go down to the local Creek and, you know, get some hydropower for free or go buy some solar power that eventually will create enough electricity so he could uh, do some Bitcoin mining. But it, it's a very, in a, in a, maybe in conclusion, Bitcoin mining, crypto mining, I don't think the numbers add up when I dig in. The guys that are making the big bucks have spent millions of dollars on acres of land. And it's like a substation right there that they have built that are feeding giant cooling towers and thousands and thousands of crypto mining machines. And the people that are more successful now are pooling together to create Mm -hmm. the, in other words, they're part of the equation and someone else, they're all working together that submit it to mine so they can do it faster, better, 
and then split up the proceeds and, and invest in the equipment. And in my opinion, looking at the mining equipment, it's outdated every six months, not outdated where it still work, but it's not as efficient. Mm-hmm. Therefore you need to move to a faster processor. Most of it's FPGA, um, super fast, super hot cooling's an issue. Energy's an issue. Lots, lots of stuff to consider. So don't jump out there and, and go get a, uh, crypto, a currency mining business. All right. I'll, I'll put a hold on my next purchase, my next crypto mining rig. (laughs) Yeah. I was actually just looking at a business for sale for that. A a guy was selling it and he, and he said, basically he would net about a thousand dollars a month. He was selling the business for $75,000 with all of the equipment. And I forget what the investment equipment he had, but it was, you know, was uh, the equipment wasn't the most modern, but if you think about that, if you're going to have to, spend $75,000 and you're going to ask yourself, well, how long is it going to take till I can recoup my money and actually become profitable? Uh, that, that, that's a big ask, I think. Yeah. Yep. All right. With that, uh, we'll end this episode of Cyber Coast to Coast. Uh, but before we go, uh, do you have anything coming up? Uh, any, any interviews or events you want to plug? Um, I, I did an, an interesting uh, interview yesterday on RT uh, America, and I think it, uh, it it just went live. It was on a show called Boom Bust, mm. which is a, a show on uh, technology. They talk a lot about crypto. They talk a lot about cyber attacks. So I was a, a return guest and, and was able to weigh in on some of the problems with the World Economic Forum and the report that recently came out. That basically is saying that cybercrime is now so great, it's actually putting a dent on the world economy. Mm-hmm. And it's going to really set us back. And, and in part, one of the, the number one thing that's really having its effect is ransomware, which, which is kind of interesting because what do we talk about today? Our, our first story, New Mexico jail, ransomware uh, or you know, a lot of the other stories the other week that we talked about, ransomware attacks, uh, double extortion, everything tied to ransomware is very profitable in the world of cyber criminals. And many cyber criminals are shifting their focus to ransomware, ransomware as a service, and finding different ways to capitalize on it. I, I always share the stat 2018, the average ransomware payout was two, uh, $500 in uh, 2021. It went up to over $200,000 for the average payout. So we see how much more lucrative it is. And and another stat I was reading actually yesterday was about 70 new companies got into the ransomware business just recently. So what's happening is cyber criminals and and bad guys are, are coming out of the woodwork. Maybe it's the pandemic. They're bored. Maybe they say, hey, I want to do an early retirement, get out of the tech industry. I'm going to get into ransomware and I'm going to make myself a lot of money really quick and then go to Tahiti and retire or, you know, something like that. I don't know, but it's really scary how many ransomware attacks, how much more money they're getting out of it. And and that was a lot of what I talked about in that interview and hopefully some, some basic things that we can keep in mind, especially as this on off pandemic is happening. And so many of us are working from home or working remotely things that people need to do just to keep safe. Right. Well, I posted that interview 
on our uh, on your website, uh, scottschober.com. It's also posted on bvsystems.com. So if anyone wants, wants to watch the full thing, check it out. There's a lot of uh, good information there. Um, but that's all for this episode. Uh, um, signing out from Long Beach, California, this is Craig. All right. And signing out from the East Coast here, this is Scott. I encourage everyone to uh, stay safe out there. And we're getting ready for a winter storm coming over this extended weekend with uh, Monday, we're going to be off with Martin Luther King uh, holiday, but uh, stay safe out there, everybody, and stay warm. All right. Bye now. Diamond. Coast to coast.